calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Welcome to the serialized audiobook Nocturnal by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler, performed by Phil Giganti. This novel contains adult situations, violence, and is meant for mature audiences. Nocturnal is available in print, ebook, and unabridged ad free audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit slash nocturnal. Chapter 76 Come and Play Brian waited. Brian watched. He sat on an old five-gallon paint bucket he'd found on the roof, his head just high enough to see over the roof's low wall. He'd positioned himself so a smokestack rose behind him. No silhouette, no outline. Six stories above Erickson's backyard, just past midnight with a starless sky, and Brian Clouser was all but invisible. He watched the back of the old Victorian, at least what he could see through the darkness in the trees. The small green space looked almost like a terrarium, trees reaching up high, but hemmed in on all sides by concrete, glass, and painted wood, far taller than the trees themselves. The surrounding buildings left the backyard in shadow most of the day. At night, the area under the trees was as black as the overcast sky itself. He could see something through the trees, Something soaked in deep shadow at the base of the house. Something slanted. The leaves and branches obscured the shape, but that shape bothered him. It was important. He didn't know why. At the back of the yard, opposite the Victorian, a narrow space slid between the building Brian was on and one across from him, a thin alley of grass and trees that led into other backyards. He'd checked the satellite map and knew that one could come out the back of the Victorian, go through the backyard, walk between the buildings and, coated in shadow the entire time, reach Goff Street to the west. A perfect setup. The archer could use that path to come and go unseen, to go out and hunt. He's just like me. He hunts killers, the deadliest game there is. Movement at the base of the house drew Brian's attention. Through the obscuring tree, he saw a change in the shape that disturbed him so. The shape. It was opening. He sucked in a breath and held it, eyes wide with the fresh fear of last night's terrifying dream. The shape was a cellar door. A cellar door that led down. Drenched in thick shadow, he saw something come out of that door. The door shut. Then that something moved. Smooth movement. Effortless movement. In his pants pocket, Brian's cell phone let out a Boo-beep. 
He twitched a little, suddenly afraid that something would hear, would come for him. But he was six stories up, and the phone's sound was little more than a whisper. The moving shadow crossed the yard, then stopped, vanishing beneath a tree. Brian waited. The shadow moved to another tree, where it stopped again. The shadow was making sure no one was watching. Another few steps, almost between the buildings now. A thin bit of light fell upon the figure, and Brian saw it. A dark green cloak. The cloak hung almost to the ground. Big hood pulled up over the wearer's head. Slipping beneath the cover of nighttime trees, the cloak was a silent shape sliding across the grass. The cell again let out a boop-beep. Pookie, trying to reach him. Brian ignored it. The shape moved to the base of Brian's white building. Brian leaned out, carefully, but couldn't see anything in the shadows down there. The cloak, and whoever was in it, had vanished. Brian hadn't seen a bow. Had there been one somewhere under the cloak? He knew better than to give chase. By the time he got down to the street, the perp would be blocks away in an unknown direction. Calling in a bolo would be futile. Zhao or Robertson or Shero would just cancel it and know exactly what Brian was doing. The cloaked figure was gone, but the house wasn't going anywhere. This could be Brian's chance to find some answers. Maybe the vigilante had information on Marie's children. At the very least, he might find some custom-made arrowheads that could connect Erickson to Blackbeard's murder. Something that would let Brian and Pookie push back against Zhao. No one is above the law. The cell phone let out a third boobeep. Brian looked once more to make sure he'd lost sight of the cloaked figure. He had. Then pulled out the phone. He didn't want to mess with the stupid two-way button, so he just dialed instead. Brian! Pookie answered. You okay? Pooks, I saw him. He's moving. I'm already on my way, Pooks said. I'm in the car now. Don't do anything. Brian forced himself to whisper, as it was the only way he could control his excitement. I can't believe it. I saw a guy in a big hooded green cloak. He came right out of these storm cellar doors in the back of Erickson's house. And the way he moved, man, like a... Wait, you're already on the way? Ten minutes, tops. Something was wrong. Why are you on your way before I called you to come get me? A pause. A long pause. Pooks, Brian said. Answer my question. He heard Pookie let out a big breath. This didn't sound good. Brian, it's over. Zhao came to my apartment. She's kicking us out of San Francisco. She said if we quit now, she can get us a job anywhere in the country. No. Not now. Not when he was so close. The nightmares. The killings. The connection with Rex. That weird Zed chromosome. The answers might be right inside that house. Brian? It's not so bad. I hear Hawaii is great. Honolulu homicide has a real nice ring to it. Zhao had fired them? But the house, there had to be something in the house. Brian, you there? We're done. Did you hear me? I think the house is empty, Pooks. Do not go in there, man. If you go in there, we're done as cops for good. 
And trust me, she will send your ass to prison. Just get the fuck out of there. None of that mattered. Brian knew he was on the edge of madness. He didn't care about his job. He didn't care about prison. All he cared about was finding the truth. Brian, dude, I am begging you. Wait for me, please. The slate blue Victorian called to Brian. I know what you don't. Come and play. Come and play. Brian, answer me, man. You can't go... Brian hung up. He turned the phone completely off, put it in his pocket, then headed for the tree that led down to the sidewalk. Chapter 77 Tard's Job Tard tried to put it all together, but it was confusing. His skin itched. The roof always made him itchy. But he dare not scratch, dare not even move, because the monster had left the house. Tard's job in life was to be terrified. Every night. Every single night he watched the monster come out of the house and disappear somewhere out on the streets. Tard never knew where he went. The monster could double back somewhere, close in on Tard, and then it would be too late. Tard would feel an arrow, or a knife, or a bullet. The only time Tard could breathe easy was for about five minutes when the monster returned to the house's back door. But then the feeling slipped away. Maybe the monster had another door, a secret door. Maybe it slipped out, circled around the block, scaled a building, and... Tard forced the thoughts away. Focus. This was an important job. Sly had told him so. Important and tricky, like James Bond. That's what Tard wanted to be, like James Bond, all smooth and stuff. Tard's hands trembled as he reached down, slowly, to pick up the cell phone. He couldn't have it on his body, not when he was hiding, so he just set it on the ground. He dialed. Sly answered on the second ring. Chameleon, how goes your mission? Chameleon? That's what Tard wanted to be called, but no one called him that. Not without laughing, anyway. No one except Sly. Sly never laughed. Sly! He left the house! Good man. Just stay there. Call me when he comes back in. But can I join you guys this time? You need to stay. Something glorious is happening, Chameleon. It's happening tonight. We must know when the monster returns. We can't do this without your bravery. Tard wanted to go with Sly and the others. He was sad he could not. But Sly said this job, the watching, was very important. Okay, Sly, I'll stay. I'll be brave. Has Marco come back yet? No, we think the monster got him. Sadness. Tard wanted to cry. First Chomper, now Marco. The monster murdered people, and Tard was up here all alone. Sly, I'm scared. Just stay there, Sly said. If you stay still, the monster won't find you. And if you move around, 
What happens if Firstborn finds out where you've been all these nights? Firstborn? Firstborn could make you go away. Forever. And Firstborn had said no one was to go near the monster's house. Do you really think he'll find out? Not if you stay there, Sly said. When the monster comes back, call me. Sly hung up. Tard slowly set the phone back down on the roof. So slowly. If you didn't want the monster to take you into his basement, it was best to not move at all. Fear of the monster. Fear of firstborn. The need to go out, to find a won't-be. Wanting to be brave so Sly would like him, so Tard could make some friends. Too many things to think of. Sly had said only the bravest of Marie's children could watch the monster. The monster had killed everyone who went near the house. Many brothers and sisters had tried to kill the monster, sometimes with guns and everything. None of them ever came back. So watching the house, well, even that was just dang dangerous. But if you could do it, if you could watch, Sly said, then everyone would know you were brave, and everyone would like you. Except Tard couldn't tell anyone about his job, because Firstborn said no one was ever to go near the monster's house. Sly said it was okay, though, to ignore Firstborn's orders, as long as no one found out. Movement. Down by the monster's house. By the back door. It was the man dressed in black. The man who had been circling the block earlier. How exciting! Tard stayed very still, because he was good at that. Tard watched. On a remote island in frigid Lake Superior, a fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Chapter 78 Cowardice John Smith checked the caller ID. Pookie Chang. What now? Pookie had just called 30 minutes earlier with that murder rate research project. John loved Pookie and would always have his back. But truth be told, the guy was more than a little too quick to delegate detective work. John answered. Pooks, you gotta give a guy a chance. I haven't even started to search the database yet, let alone start tabulating stuff. This isn't... John, I need you right now. Pookie never called him John. What's happening? Brian's having a meltdown. I need you at Erickson's house ASAP. John looked to his apartment window, even though he knew what he'd see. The blackness of night, lit up only by streetlights and the glowing windows across the road. It's dark out, John said. I know it's dark out, John. Brian is going in there without a warrant, and if he does, Zhao is going to screw him right to the wall. I don't know if I can stop him on my own. I need your help. John stared out the window, stared and shook his head. He wanted to help Brian. He did. But 
It was dark outside. And Pookie wanted him to go to the house of a killer? Pooks, I... I just can't. The fuck you can't! Your black ass would be dead if it wasn't for Brian. I'm so sorry for what happened to you. I am. But you get your gun, get on that Harley, and move. John nodded. Hard to breathe. Brian needed him. Erickson's. It wasn't all that far. Not at this hour. Using the bike to slide between traffic. If there was any traffic. Yeah. Okay. I can be there in 15 minutes. Make it 10. Pookie said. And don't forget your gun. This isn't about you anymore. Man up or just stay in your goddamn apartment for the rest of your life. Pookie hung up. John closed his eyes tight. Breathe. You have to go. You have to. He reached into his desk drawer and pulled out his Sig Sauer. His hand was already trembling. Chapter 79 The Kill the sound of a shutting door made Rex snap awake. Had someone found him? He was still in the brown garbage can. The lid was still closed. What had happened? He had just closed his eyes, tried to think of his people finding him. Had he fallen asleep? It was totally dark out. Was it past midnight? He didn't have a watch, didn't have a phone. He heard a click, click, click sound. He rose slowly the top of his head lifting the hinged lid so he could peek out under it. There was April, walking away from the house, a big smile on her face. Her high heels clicked on the concrete. Maybe she had just fucked Alex. Maybe she had given him a blowjob. She looked dirty, unclean. There was no one else on the street. There were no cars. She was walking away, fast, like she was fleeing him. It spun him up to think that she was trying to escape. No one else on the street. His attempt to make his so-called family come had failed. Maybe it didn't work that way. He didn't know. What if April didn't return? What if she was going to get help? What if she was going to get her parents? What if Rex wouldn't have another chance? She would have a key. Alex would be alone in the house. Rex quietly crawled out of the garbage can. Blanket wrapped around him. He walked after April. Could he get her? He'd killed Roberta. Roberta was bigger and stronger than April the meth head. His feet carried him after her. He had to get her. Click, click, click. Rex's feet made no noise. He reached out for her, locked his hands around her neck, and squeezed. She grabbed at his fingers. She tried to turn, but he wouldn't let her. She made little grunting noises, not enough air for a real scream. Her nails raked the back of his hands, so he squeezed as hard as he possibly could. April twitched. She kicked out weakly. She stopped moving. Rex was so turned on. So damn turned on. He pulled her into an apartment building entryway and gently set her on the ground. He wouldn't have long. Rex looked in her little purse and found the keys. He couldn't hide here forever. He had to face Alex. Alex who had stomped on his arm, broken it. Alex who had punched Rex in the face so many times, kicked him in the stomach. Rex shook his head. He wouldn't be afraid anymore. He wouldn't. He was the king.
He looked around again to see if anyone saw him. The street was silent. There was no movement. Rex walked to the house. He tried to breathe. Alex was inside. Rex's hand caressed the front door's white-painted wood. He had killed two women. Alex Panos wasn't a woman. Alex was big and strong. Rex couldn't run now. Couldn't stop himself from going in. One way or another, Alex's endless torment ended now. Rex's breath came in deep, ragged spurts. Kill Alex. Kill Alex. Kill Alex. Rex's hand slid down to the brass doorknob, cool to the touch. He tried a key. It didn't fit. He tried another, staying as quiet as he could. The third one slid in. He turned the key, then turned the handle. Rex stepped inside. There was a room to the right. Coming from inside the room, the blue-white flashes of a TV playing in the darkness. From that room, a voice. Did you get my chocodiles? You better have my chocodiles, girl. Rex walked into the room. Alex Panos, big, strong Alex Panos, sat in a chair facing a huge TV screen. Alex stood up quickly. He looked across the room, somewhere to Rex's right, then looked back at Rex. Alex's hands curled into fists. You little faggot, he said. What are you doing here? The voice froze Rex's feet in place. He couldn't move. He couldn't think of anything but the fists smashing against his nose, the knees breaking his lips, the boot snapping his arm. The flickering light from the TV played off of Alex's blonde hair. The news said you killed your mom, he said. A statement with an underlying meaning. You killed your mom. Are you here to kill me? Yes. That's exactly what Rex was there to do. His feet came unglued. He took one step forward. Don't, Alex said. Get out of here or I will fuck you up. Did you tell anyone where I am? Rex took another step. Alex looked to Rex's right again. There was something there Alex wanted, but Rex wouldn't take his eyes off the prey even for a second. You better run away, motherfucker, Alex said. Go now or I'm going to hurt you real bad this time. The voice of anger, the voice of hate, but there was something new there, fear. Rex breathed in deep through his nose. He didn't just hear Alex's fear, he smelled it. Alex suddenly ran to his left, crossing in front of the TV. Rex shot forward before he even knew what he was doing. He slammed into Alex, driving the bigger boy back into the TV. Plastic cracked, something sparked and they both hit the ground hard. Alex cried out, a squeal of pain very unlike his manly words of threat. Rex started to stand, then felt a fist slam into his mouth. So hard. He fell back and landed on his ass. A boot crunched into his stomach, crushing the air out of his lungs, making Rex's body curl up into a ball. All the fear came rushing back. The terror of beatings past consumed him because he knew this one would be worse than all the others. He shouldn't have come here. A big fist hit him in the back of the head, bouncing his face off the wood floor. 
You ruined April's TV, you asshole! A steel-toed boot hammered his ribs. Rex started to scream, to cry out, but he clenched his teeth together. It didn't hurt as bad as he remembered it. Rex opened his eyes. Right in front of him, a foot, a shin, a knee. He reached out, grabbed Alex's heel, and yanked. Alex went down fast, the back of his head cracking off the floor. His eyes scrunched tight, and his mouth opened in a silent gasp of confused pain. He rolled to his side, hands holding the back of his head. Blood dripped from his fingers. Rex had done that. He had made Alex bleed. Rex stood on shaky legs. He felt blood trickling from his own nose, his own mouth. He stepped forward and raised his foot. Alex looked up just as Rex's heel smashed down. The bigger boy let out a noise, part fear, part rage, part agony. He rolled away, blood pouring from his now-ruined nose. He looked confused, shocked. Rex smiled a bloody smile, the smile of a fighter. His hands curled into fists. It's your turn, bully, he said. It's your turn to hurt. Alex scrambled away on hands and knees. Rex started to follow, but stopped when he heard a loud noise from above. Several noises. Something landing on the roof. Both boys looked up to the ceiling, eyes searching for the source of the sound, as if their eyes could penetrate wood and plaster. Shit! Alex said. The fuck is this? Rex's chest started to thrum. Ba-da-bum-bum, ba-da-bum-bum. The same feeling he'd experienced when he met Marco. His family had arrived. How perfect. Rex looked back at Alex, but Alex had moved. He was standing to the right of the door, next to a small table. He held a gun. Too late, Rex realized that's what Alex had been glancing at while they had talked. The gun had been on the table the whole time, just an arm's reach away, but Rex hadn't noticed. No. No fair! I beat him! I beat him! I had my revenge! No fair! Fuck you, faggot! Alex said, then pulled the trigger. Something slammed into Rex's belly. His legs gave out. As he fell, he heard a combination of sounds. Splintering wood, another gunshot, and then the screams of Alex Panos. You have been listening to Nocturnal by Scott Sigler. Performed by Phil Giganti. Produced by Empty Set Entertainment. The Nocturnal audiobook was directed and engineered by Corey Young. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. 
And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.